This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 40. Number 40. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners and tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and everyday law enforcement officers. To give you both angles of discussion, today I'm joined by DB, Daryl Bulky. We're going to talk about shooting to wound and how horrible an idea this is. But first, before we get into this uh, overwhelmingly, uh, gosh, I don't even have the words for it, topic, a word from our sponsors. First and foremost, XS Sites, the title sponsor of the network. Check them out. Local, Fort Worth, Texas. I say local. They're local for me. Uh, makers of fine night sites, tritium sites, uh, whatever you prefer to call them. Um, check them out there in the show notes, CCW safe legal surf, legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Go to ccwsafe.com, select your product and you can get 10% off by using code off duty 10. All right, as always, EDC Belt Company, foundation makers of the foundation belt, edcbeltco.com. A reminder, uh, again, we're giving away more gear, but you got to sign up weekly at the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Uh, the link's in the show notes. Check it out. Click on the link. Sign up weekly. Uh, last week, a fellow won a vehicle tactics course, so... Uh, giving away some cool cool gear guardian conference we're running out running out of time and running out of seats folks so uh jump on that edc belt co will be there excess sites will be there lots of vendors ccw safe sponsoring it and uh september oklahoma city oklahoma city gun club look forward to seeing you all there and uh training with you there so let's go ahead and bring in our guest daryl bulky Welcome back, DB, to the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. It's been like a walloping month and a half. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you since and Hanny. You, since, you since, you, since you needed a controversial subject to have everybody angry about. Yeah, and you, you and Hanny. Month, it took a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> you and Hanny are tied now again for uh, most guest co-hostings. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because we're all kind of revolver nerds so it, it works out right yeah it works out i talked to him last night about the bonnie and clyde shootout we yeah <laughs> this is what nerds did this is what nerds do comparing <laughs> notes on obscure <laughs> 1930s shootouts so yeah well excellent well both of us got our uh our feathers ruffled over this this i'll just call it yeah. out it's lagrange georgia and shooting to incapacitate and incapacitate uh, that's what they're caught. They, I noticed some of the articles say shooting to wound and some of them say shooting to incapacitate. And the first, the first thing that caught my attention from it was, um, in the 12 officer involved shootings that their agency have experienced. I was like <laughs> all 12. I don't mean to be rude guys, but, uh, you know, 12 was, uh, 12 was a slow year last year for some agencies. So, 
Uh, and then we had a couple, we, we had, we had a period where that was like a slow month <laughs> or a yeah. good month. Actually, that would have been a busy month or two. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, the, that was the first thing. And then the second thing was their use of the humanoid target that is zoned for, uh, what we would call less lethal. There is a, a commonly accepted target out there that has green, yellow, and red. Mm-hmm. And the most disturbing part was watching these guys parking like vi- still photos of these guys parking rounds in the pelvic girdle and upper thighs of this humanoid target to which I said, uh, is a pretty good shot because I'm sure you've seen it. But after years of work in the hospital, uh, I've seen a lot of dudes shot in the femoral and it's usually bad, like very, very bad. Uh, and it doesn't take a full, you know, a full value cartridge to the femoral artery to sever it. <laughs> so, uh, give me your thoughts on it, because let's. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate to beat let's up just, on an agency, just, but at the same time, it's like you got. Sometimes people need you know called what, out. What, 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 when you when you want to go down the road that we all know is going to be the road to not good. Um, you know, I, I look at this like some people just need to touch the hot pot, no matter how much you tell them, and they're going to be writing checks. Um, and, you know, the sad thing is, you know, there was a time in my life I thought, God, I'll ne- I would never, ever, you know, be doing, uh, you know, civil consulting for people suing police departments. And here we are as if. If you go down such a horrific road as stupid, you know, um, sorry, I'm going to have to help the, the, what, what become the good guys, you know, yeah. the, the reality of this, they're going to get officers hurt. They're going to get themselves sued. Um, all the things they are trying to avoid, they're going to end up making worse by doing this. And, you know, let's, let's, let's be brutally honest here. Um, because, you know, that's kind of what I do is the DB reality checks of, I'm sorry, I didn't sugarcoat it for you and make you feel good about yourself. But the reality is uh, most police departments are already shooting to wound with their no cop left behind training standards. So we can start there is most agencies these days are, are hiring people who probably are not real good shooters are don't have the interest in being good shooters do not care about being good shooters uh you've been a cop long enough you know for a lot of your co-workers the gun in their holster is no different than the pen in their pocket you know it is what it is and that's just the reality so you're starting there and then what most agencies have done is lower their training standards to make sure those people can pass you know, rather than going, hey, we'll hire anybody, and then you got to come up to these standards. They're hiring anybody, and going, we'll just lower the standards so that everybody has to get down to your level. And what you have is you have a bunch of people who can't put rounds where they want to to begin with. Um, we're allowing in many places. You know, one of the things I changed at my agency. Um, I don't know if they still do it. They pretty much dismantled everything I did within six months of me leaving. So it's hard to tell, but the, uh, one of the biggest, 
what I felt was an accomplishment was um, requiring 100% hits. So if you had a round leave a silhouette anywhere, you immediately DQ'd. You failed. Um, I want to be able to walk into court and say that to, to look a jury and say, at no time do I think it's acceptable that as a training standard, if a police officer fires 10 rounds, it's okay if three of them go out into the community. Um, yeah. The reality is they all hit. They, you know, one of my favorite quotes from my, my business partner, Wayne Dobbs, is they all hit something. So every round you fire is going to hit something. You're going to get 100% hits. The, the thing is, is that when we make a decision, that's a very serious, critical decision to use lethal force. It is the most serious decision any police officer will ever have to make is the decision to exercise and use lethal force. And if we take that with the seriousness it should demand, I also want to demand that the standards for applying use of that lethal use of force should be pretty high. And unfortunately, when we got a lot of agencies that are sitting there giving their officers a barn door to shoot, and then if they miss this massive no cop left behind target and park three or you know, a couple rounds out in the community, we're calling that okay. And it, it's, it's wrong. It's horribly wrong. Um, and this is what is being touted as, as acceptable. So on top of this, that you already don't have a whole lot of officers that you're taking seriously enough their training to teach them how to properly stop a, a human threat in the least amount using the least amount of lethal force possible, which if we can get a shooting that's one round, that is the most desirable. If I have to use lethal force with a firearm, I would like it to be one and done. If it's not one and done, my next most optimal thing is two. And then the next most is three. And I really don't want to be using much more than that because this is literally where the public loses their mind because they have been educated by television and do not understand the dynamics of the human body and the realities of how force is applied and the realities of what happens when in most cases, pistol bullets hit human beings are very inefficient at stopping humans from doing what they're doing. Now we're, now we got an agency out there that's deciding (laughs) we're going to train our officers to use lethal force as in as inefficiently as possible and i'm uh, i am baffled by this completely baffled my concern also becomes at what part of the use of force continuums or or accepted (laughs) practices does it become okay to use a lethal device in a non-lethal method think about that one Exactly. Yeah, none, none of them. And, and you know, that, the that's same... setting a precedent that, hey, well, okay, that person is contained. Beanbag shotguns aren't working. Pepper spray and tasers aren't working. The next best thing is that we just shoot them in the arm or the leg or the lower torso. So you, you add this extra layer to a use of force And then if you escalation. want to hit on all of the... The DB pet peeves at the exact same time that you've taken away 
by far the safest, most efficient way to deal with that problem, which is carotid control. We're not allowing in many places to use carotid control, but we're allowing them But it, it, to replace that. We're going to use shooting various body parts. And this is the most baffling thing I have ever heard. You know, if carotid control was so dangerous, it wouldn't be allowed in the UFC. And you're talking uh, what <laughs> what the general public refers to as chokeholds. And I am uh, I'm not as averse to that as I once was uh, when I was younger. And I, I I know how I understand how to do it. I am not proficient at it by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think. Even that, as a large scale across the board, no no, so to speak, where we have now mm-hmm. we have cities, towns, and others it's a ban outright banning it. I see no issue with at the point that all other things have failed. If you've been trained to do it, absolute by all means. And the reason I say yeah, that well, is. You know- it shouldn't be applied to, uh, oh, well, the shoplifter, he's, he's giving me a little, you know, he's, he's giving me guff and it's a misdemeanor. So out goes the lights. No, I don't think that's an appropriate well, application. Well, the reality is, is if the misdemeanor is resistive enough that I got to start hitting them with sticks, yeah. tasers, stuff like that. Here's the reality. I've submitted over 150 individuals with carotid control. Um, it, it was the most efficient, humane, easiest, whatever. And especially when most of the people that that was being applied to tended to be under the influence of cocaine, PCP, methamphetamine, large amount of alcohol. And you can add the God knows what, or just absolutely insane. Those were the ones who like, uh, Hey bro, you're under arrest for petty theft for but you're under arrest for petty theft and you're under the influence of methamphetamine or, you know, the, the George Ford Floyd case. Uh, yeah, you passed some funny money, but you're on a fentanyl methamphetamine overdose while we're trying to arrest you for something incredibly stupid that you should just sit there and take your ticket and walk away. Yeah. But now we're going to turn it into something else. At this point, I want that problem over and done with in six seconds where handcuffs are on, you're sitting up, you're in a recovery position, the whole world's delicious and we're we're not having any more problems than sitting there and beating that person. You know what I found like with batons, Mm -hmm. you know, batons worked great the next day. Um, (laughs) you know, they never worked right now, but the next day these people were covered in God knows what for bruises, injuries. I mean, I broke a dude's femur once with a baton strike. I mean, you know how hard you got to hit a guy to break a femur. Yes, I do. It didn't, it didn't, did not even phase the dude. Now, five hours later when he couldn't get out of the drunk tank bed. Yeah, it was a big deal, but when it happened, it wasn't. And a lot of that stuff people don't understand is not real efficient, but I have yet to find a person that in carotid, in a a properly applied carotid control hold, uh, lateral vascular neck restraint, something like that. Don't just simply not off, put the handcuffs on and wake them back up and everything's terrific. I have never seen that not work at that level. And 
And it, and again, a lot of the people in my day we were applying that to were heavily overdosed on PCP. Those were the same people you can shoot them till you're blue in the face too. And they don't really respond well to that. So any of this stuff that is, so kind of my point on that is, shouldn't we be using force if we're really taking this seriously, shouldn't we be using the most efficient means of use of force rather than the most inefficient? So we know that shooting people like in arms, especially when we're trying to stop them, doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It physiologically doesn't work. It physically doesn't work. But what we do cause are some horrific injuries that down the road are going to be horrific, if not fatal. Um, you hit a brachial artery in the arm. You hit a femoral in the leg. Um, you hit just about anything in the pelvis. Those don't stop people, but you are creating some pretty horrific wounds that are very difficult to treat. Let's even go down into the um, uh you know, lower and you know, okay. So you miss your your pelvic bone shot, which is trying to hit a, the couple bones in the pelvis that'll actually skeletally drop a person. Which uh, I've always told people on the pelvic shots, okay, if you now have the absolutely identical problem you had when they were standing up, you now have the identical problem while they're on the ground. That mm-hmm. the only thing you've done is the best possible outcome is change their orientation. You have not stopped the threat or done any of that. I, I heard Think that about one rounds <laughs> summed up. I, I got to re- interject. I heard a really good, uh, he was a, uh, a unit guy from Bragg that summed that one up really well. I won't throw his name out, but uh, he was talking about pelvic shots because, you know, AK-47 magazines are pretty decent body armor when they're worn high center chest. And he said, you know, the times that he had seen it, it had taken people six to eight minutes to expire or incapacitate. And he said, and most of the time in, you know, rural whateverville or what Stan, whatever Stan, um, <laughs> that there was no immediate trauma wound care available until an objective right. was secure. And he goes, so now you have somebody who's prone and knows they're going to die and you are going to have to deal with them for six to eight minutes, potentially. He goes, it's a bad plan. I was, and I thought, I, I've never heard it explained that way, but this mm-hmm. is obviously someone that's seen that before. So he said, can you imagine the fighting popu- somebody that way that wants, that knows the they're res- going to die? The resurgence of the pelvic shooting thing because we've been down this road several times in the past when it has never worked well, is that a lot of guys coming back from overseas saw really good success with it. And when I start tracking down how they define success, these were U.S. military personnel uh, shooting enemy combatants, you know, mm-hmm. who, like you said, are usually got an AK chest pouch, possibly, you know, a helmet, but usually it's the chest pouch and some possibly even body armor. And, you know, they're running across the street with the AK and all their stuff or an RPG seven or whatever. And a guy with a rifle with a U.S. service combat rifle puts a round through their pelvis. Well, there's a big deal difference between a rifle round going through a pelvis, but you know what that round did is it stopped them from running across the street, which is a difficult shot to make. 
to now you have the down guy with an AK laying in the middle of a street or incapacitated in that way of that. He's not now running. You're not now hitting and they get shot by the same guys with the same rifles again in places that make a difference. Yeah. It was simply a means to demobilize an enemy combatant. Um, how much relationship does that have to United States uh, police work and use of lethal force under constitutional restraints? Because I don't find any um, any of that they- is in place that you can that you could really for your line patrol police officer be dealing with that on a daily basis. Yeah, and absolutely. So the uh, I'll give you a, a, a kind of a, a cop story here. Um, years ago, um, had a case that uh, I was I was actually flying over it when it happened in the uh, in the helicopter. Uh, suspect is shot is engaged in a in a lethal force inc- incident with officers. Um, eventually, he he was uh, killed in the encounter. And I went because we did the shooting investigation and I actually did the wound ballistics and the stuff, even though it was an outlying agency. Um, I did, I went to the autopsy and this was a time when this was always a subject. And I asked the medical examiner, I said, Hey, uh, you know, there's this thing about, you know, pelvic shots and I don't agree with it, but I'd like your opinion because we're standing here, you know, with, and he said, uh, and he just looks at the body, he points to it, he goes, how did it work here? And I go, because the guy did get hit in the pelvis. And I go, and then he points to the shot in the guy's head that actually ended the incident. I go, yeah, it didn't change a thing. He goes, that's my experience is shots to the pelvis are, are, are bad, terrible wounding injuries, but tend not to stop or incapacitate or stop anybody's actions. But he, you know, what you do create is, you know, some, some difficult, if it, if it hits the right stuff in there, it's all difficult stuff to, to fix. Um, I talked to a medical professional I trust recently who said, you know, there are very few, uh, true pelvic surgeons who specialize in that in the country. They're hard to find. Now, what you will find in most any hospital is somebody who can do vascular work for, you know, when we normally target the upper center of the chest, which is not only gives you a good place to hit to incapacitate a human being, it also gives you as much meat as you can find around that if you miss that spot, at least your rounds will be contained in the suspect that you have made a a hopefully well-assessed and well-evaluated choice to use lethal force on that at least the round stays in there, even if it doesn't incapacitate them, it's in the best place it can be versus trying to shoot things that are hard to hit like an arm. Right. You know what I mean? We have a hard time getting guys to hit center chest and now you want to hit, Oh, I'm going to put it in the elbow, you know, really? Um, And then again, you're talking the, the, arteries and stuff that feed into the lower legs that feed into the femorals that feed down into the lower body are very small going through the pelvic area. When you start putting rounds through that, you can't fix it. They just bleed out, you know, and, and stuff in the femorals, I mean, lower down, you can start getting tourniquets on this stuff, but you're not tourniqueting 
you know, a femoral injury internal in the pelvic girdle somewhere, you're not going to cut stop, do much to stop that bleeding. And it isn't like you're going to put a chest seal on it either. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of issues with even immediately trying to treat that. And then down the road, trying to find somebody in the right trauma center to fix it or to have any, any potential, um, you know, means to do that. So it, it's, it, it, again, this is all fan, You know, I think these people li- literally are now listening to people who watch television and, you know, I can point to one of the most uh, controversial shootings we've had because of a lot of issues, which was the Ferguson shooting with Michael Brown. And, you know, we all know at this point that the whole hands up, don't shoot never happened. It was all fabricated. There was a lot of issues with just pure, utter, whatever. And I will never forget, you know, watching Fox news whose big issue with this, once it was dispelled with all of the stuff that he was not an innocent child, you know, targeted for no, nothing by the police, um, is that, well, why did they have to shoot him six times? Well, for all the people who are like, couldn't they just shoot him in the leg? You know, Biden, to, yeah. to, to, well, you could just shoot him in the leg. You could just shoot him in the arm. You know where they shot Michael Brown? You know, in the arms and all the places that don't matter. And it wasn't till charging the officer dropped his head and took around the head that it was finally incapacitated, truly incapacitated and stopped the threat. So you had a case that should had a better marksmanship solution been used initially that would have been optimally a one round shooting or two round shooting. It wasn't. And those are marksmanship issues. And I'm not going to be critical of the officer. I wasn't there. I don't know what his training background was or whatever, but I know how I train people. I know how I've used force in the past. And to me, the mo- when I'm training people, the big emphasis is, and you've seen how we do it, is we set excruciatingly high standards in training so that if they get double that, in the field, we're still in good shape. Most of the guys that I trained who were in a lot of shootings, I can't think of a single one. I had one that was five rounds that was pretty dynamic. And the officer did a great job on that. I was actually there. Him and I were being ambushed. Um, most of the officers I trained were less three rounds or less. Isn't that more optimal to invest in that ahead of time rather than, you know, you're investing all this training time now to create six, eight, 10, 17, 23 round shootings that offend the public because the public thinks they're getting some delusional SEAL team, whatever level of shooter. When we know that, you know, you can't send a police officer to the range with 20 rounds once a year and call it good that this, this individual is going to be able to, to execute some high level marksmanship standards and utter chaos. And it's absolutely delusional for all the effort they're putting in to teach officers to shoot poorly. Like I said, they already shoot poorly shoot. Tell most of them to try to hit them in the center chest. You'll get plenty of arm and leg shots in there just because that that was some, uh, (laughs) something that I had, uh, it was kind of a, I won't say a rude awakening, but 
it was a bit off-putting was the the first year I went to TACCON and people said, oh, well, you're a cop and you're, you know, it, it was almost like that immediately flagged me as someone that had no inherent skill. Oh, you, you know, if I had a nickel for every, well, cops shoot like crap. Well, you know what? Yeah. And, and you know what? Walk into the local indoor range. You and I walking into any public range are going to have the same opinion. And those are the people who are actually practicing. So <laughs> the, the, rea- the reality is um, that without a significant, you and I know the reality and most of the listeners of this podcast know the reality is to be a, what we call a good shooter takes a significant, significant amount of time, work and training. And that training needs to be ongoing and, um, regular and recent. And we define recent like many court standards of them being monthly. I personally think if you want to kind of court proof your police agency, you're going to be doing some level of lethal force training, probably biweekly. And that may just be briefing training. That may be some sort of use of force range training. That may be, um, it doesn't even have to be live practice as we know how hard that is. But personally, I don't think a police officer should be going more than a month without actually live pressing rounds from their service weapon. And I believe that at least every other week, there should be some discussion in a work environment about use of lethal force to be truly recent, keep up on training, recent court cases, application of force. Because if you think, what are the most litigious things we do in police work is application of force and driving are truly the two most Mm -hmm. litigious daily events we do. And, or I'm in my case, did, um, and then you add to that, we're, we're wanting to get rid of qualified immunity <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but we don't want to do any training on the most litigious stuff we do. And you, you can't have both. And, you know, these police administrators and these politicians, and I'm going to make that as a general space statement, because I do know there are some police executives that care, but the reality for most is you don't get a police. Uh, one of the sayings we have in our little circle is the way to the top is not through the range. <laughs> most of your police executives are not use of force experts on any stretch of the imagination and probably got to where they are by avoiding any situation where use of force was being used. We left those dirty jobs to those guys. And that's one of the dirty secrets of police work is that there is a small group or a small percentage of officers who handle a lot of those incidents because they are the ones who train. They're the ones who are, have accepted that responsibility or that job. You know, there's certain people who ride around motorcycles and write tickets to nice people. That was never me, but we need those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a team. It's like putting a football team together or something is, you know, you can't take the wide receivers and put them on the line blocking, you know, 
270-pound defensive lineman. It doesn't work, and putting the 320-pound O lineman out to catch passes doesn't work. You need a little of everything. Yeah. And there are guys and gals out there who are exceptional at using force, and they tend to be the ones that put themselves or their their if they're supervised well are put in the positions to be the best people to apply that. The problem is, is they're not always there. And as <laughs> they're also tend to be the people that are being forced out of police work right now. Well, and what you're left with, with executives who don't care, who are trying to please people who can't be pleased. And, you know, it's just a, a kind of an ugly situation and you're not making it any better by coming up with TV fantasy land training practices like shooting to wound or to incapacitate because the real, the re the reality of that is we're not incapacitating. We're horrifically wounding people and it doesn't incapacitate them. Yeah. The, uh, you know, have you seen anybody drop from being shot in the arm? Well, I mean, just drop and, and stop doing what they're doing. I have not much. It hap it happens, but it's all psychological. It's not. I, I have, but I see. <laughs> I see far, far more. Uh, and, and I have personally, uh, you know, interviewed, been on scene with, and been talking to people who were shot that had absolutely no idea they were shot. Until they were like, man, my, uh, oh man, Often. my pocket's burning. I don't, I, I literally had a, had a kid that, uh, holstered a gun, quasi holstered a gun, uh, <laughs> put a gun in his pocket and it went off and we had gotten a report of that. And as we pull up, this kid's walking down the street and I'm like, give me the description of this guy again. <laughs> and here he is in front of me. And he goes, I said, Hey, did you just shoot yourself? And I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm going to wherever. And I'm, and I look down and I see a small smoldering hole in his pants. And I'm like, he's shot and he had shot himself and did not realize that there was literally a bullet in his leg. Fortunately, it was a 25 ACP and most air rifles have a better ballistic coefficient. So he was fine. But, uh, and, and, and beside they, they, they weren't his pants. No, definitely not. They weren't his they pants. These aren't my pants that have a but, <laughs> but either way, it was uh, it, a small trickle of blood. And when he saw it, he passed out because he yeah, did right. not even realize that he had a projectile wound or um, something that uh, you were talking about with the officers that are proficient, trained at marksmanship. And, you, and uh, you know, I kind of throw uh, firearms as just, it's a level of application to use of force. And there are people that specialize Absolutely. in it. And then there are empty hand slash, you know, impact weapons and things like that. And there are people that really take a lot of specialization in that. I always lent towards the, the firearms side. Um, it's just not my jam to go roll on mats with guys for, for hours anymore, but I have some measure of skill in that. But what I've found is, the guys that are exceptional and proficient at that were rarely the people getting into lengthy, extended, ugly, nasty, uh-oh, this is going to be on the news incidents. It's the same when you look at firearms instructors that are 
trained in, I don't say all in general, but the guys that train, stay honed, stay proficient, don't just go, look, I shot a hundred percent on the state's qualification course. The guys that actually challenge the, uh, their abilities. If you look at the <laughs> shooting incidents, they're involved far less round count. And I don't have any hard data to back this up. Uh, and far less times that they are involved. It, there are more situations where they could have applied lethal force with a handgun or a rifle or shot or whatever. And people are going, man, you, you were a hundred percent in the clear to deploy lethal force against this person. And you didn't. And it's like, well, yeah, that would have been the easy solution. I've heard that more than one time is hey, that would have been the easy. The more, what, what I have found is the people who are most proficient at use of force are the same people who can allow an incident to go a little longer than probably necessary because they have the skill sets to deal with it better. The ones who literally, if their taser fails, they have not, they are done are the ones who are escalating things way more than they need to be. They're screaming in panic over and over their solution. Everything is to scream in a radio for how much backup they need. Nothing's getting solved because they don't have the tools to solve them. And those incidents tend to go from screaming to shooting because everything else is missing. And then the shooting tends to be horrific as well. And that is normal stuff. And the problem is, is, and that it to me is an absolute failure of leadership because the one job these executive administrators of police departments and the city politicians should be doing is the training aspect to allow their officers to safely and efficiently use force. I, I should take away safe because it's never safe responsibly and efficiently use force. Um, it is a great, great responsibility to be given a gun and a badge and a power to take life and all of these tools and all this stuff. I, I, I take it disturbingly seriously. And sadly, most of the people who are in charge don't. It's something, oh, well, we have to let them qualify and let's see what's the most minimal thing we can do. Oh, shoot. We got a bunch of people who can't do the minimum. Let's change the minimum to more minimum than that. Yeah. You know, I'm not excusing the behavior, but I sit there looking at, you know, how many, how many, uh, how many buddies do you got who are, uh, you know, belted jujitsu practitioners on their own dime? Everybody I know who was doing any kind of work on their own on arrest and control tactics. But, they, you know, the sad part is, you know how they did it? They paid for it themselves. Everybody wants, uh, you know, the, you know, this is like what we're doing to cops right now is we're basically would be the military equivalent of we're taking pilots and we give them, we get them a pilot's license and a Cessna 172. And then we give them an F-16 and tell them, hey, go out and pay out of your own pocket to learn how to fly that thing right. And if you crash it, we're going to be really mad at you. And it's going to be your fault that you didn't pay out of pocket enough you know, to fly the F-16. 
you know, this is what we're doing to cops is we're having this expectation. If you want to be actually decent at your job, you got to pay out of pocket to do it. And it's, you know, it's not how it should be. And we have the resources, you know, believe me, if you have the resources to do a lot of the crazy moronic stuff that we do, um, you certainly have the resources to put it towards, uh, exceptional training it, 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 the means and the the uh, the ways to do it are out there it just costs money and well, you know if the feds wanted to do something that's where it needs to come from instead of if you want to dump some money from the federal government into something instead of all this defunding the police how about funding some really exceptional force training and you know the other thing it goes back to you know when i sit there and i go this is this fantasy stuff again I challenge any of those people who are making all this uh, stuff. You know, it's like the chokehold people, you know, oh, well, God, we got to ban chokeholds. And I'll look at anybody who says that and I'll just tell them, OK, you're a police officer because we're, you know, it's about equity now. So we have no height, weight, physicality standards. You put handcuffs on me without using a carotid. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and try and arrest me and I don't want to go. And you can't hurt me and you can't use a carotid. Good luck with that. That ain't going to happen. Um, you know, I tell people, I go, handcuffing is a voluntary process. And you either have to, the either the person being arrested has to comply and accept and a voluntary allow themselves to be handcuffed. Or you have to hurt them bad enough that they submit to being handcuffed. It's one of the two. And the problem is, is nobody likes number two, and then they don't want to train people to how to efficiently do number two. And then we're going to take the best tool we have available away from them to handcuff people who will not voluntarily be handcuffed. And we place zero responsibility on the person being arrested to do it like a grown-up. Zero responsibility for the people who are resisting the process. And then we don't like the outcome when minimal or negligently trained, trained people are attempting to do it the hard way. And then now we're going to give them this uh, new option of, yeah, but if it doesn't go right, you can shoot them in the arm. You got to be kidding me. I mean, again, we can't get them to shoot them in the places that we know works to actually officers are supposed to be shooting to incapacitate already. Now what we're trying to do is train them to shoot inefficiently with hopes and dreams of unicorn fantasies that, well, if somebody gets hit in the arm, they'll just fall over and comply and it won't hurt them that bad. Well, obviously you've never been shot in the arm before, so you don't know that. I, I have and the- what it's going to do is cause a lot of misses and pass throughs endangering the public as well. So the reality is if we start treating a lot of this stuff like hostage situations that we need to do what we normally do to actually rapidly incapacitate people, because the reality is a lot of these situations are hostage situations. They just don't look like what television tells us when we have a heavily messed up tweaker parolee pointing a gun at a store clerk. Is that not a hostage situation? Right. You have some maniac walking around 
a store shooting or whatever, there's kids, there's people, isn't at that point society in a hostage situation that shouldn't the police be doing everything they can to put that individual on the deck right now? And, you know, we had plenty, you know, my, my uh, agency, because of how I trained them, we shot a lot of people in the head. And the reality is they didn't all die. They all went down and they all went down like a, uh, like a marionette with the strings cut and were instantly incapacitated. Um, it's not necessarily a immediate death sentence, but what it does, it's an instantation, instantaneous secession of hostilities and cessation of action that needs to be done or they shouldn't have taken the shot to begin with. When we've gotten the situation that bad at this point, one and done, and the more dangerous the situation is, the more uh, it becomes critical to end these. And the second we start getting people, particularly suspects, with a firearm in their hand actively shooting at anybody or anything, at this point, to me, the most efficient shot is going to be if you can put one in the head to immediately stop that action. Now, that's going to be a little different than some of the people who are accessing firearms, uh, some of this other stuff. But when we have these situations like that where it's already, it, hey, the, the flag's already up on the bad guy side, at this point, society is the hostage. And, you know, everybody who wants to talk about this doesn't talk about it with them being the one involved. You know, all these politicians crying the blues, it's right up until it's their kids who are downrange of that. You know, then it's a different situation. But as long as it's your kids or somebody else's thing, then we get to be critical of the police. And it's just a elitist uh attitude of not being happy with the subcontractors that and literally that's how these people treat the police as simply contractors of yuckiness and then they 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 want to go low bid and they're not happy with the work you know it's it's really kind of a breakdown of the reality of that when you sit there and listen to these elites on television you know, well, what would you do if an intruder was breaking into your house? Well, I'd call the police. So we're not going to lift a finger to defend myself, my family, any of that. I'm going to call the police and let that person who's got a family of their own risk their life to save yours. And then I'm going to be horrifically critical of them when it happens. And I don't want to do anything to train them either. It's, you know, it's, we've gotten to a point of literally um, absolute stupidity of so removed from reality that we're living in fantasy land. And, you know, and this stuff, this whole shooting in the arm thing and all this, you know, wounding, whatever, you know where that comes from? This is literally cartoon level stuff of television and rating systems of back in the, you know, I think it was forties or fifties. They decided we can't have anybody seen being mortally shot on TV. I mean, go look at the old TV shows. You know, everybody's, nobody gets killed in old TV shows, you know, or, or is really fatally 
shot, you know, kids, cartoons, stuff like that. It's all, this is where we, we generate that you can shoot them in the arm and it will stop everything is literally from, from uh, TV guidance for literally like censorship back in the old days is where we create this stuff. This is what we're basing police policy on. It's the most insane thing from grown up individuals when we have so much exceptional physiology, data, scientific driven, you know, follow the science driven data. You know, let's talk to some trauma surgeons if we want to really understand how to immediately incapacitate people. And you find me the trauma surgeon that says that like shooting somebody in the arm or a leg or the pelvis is the way to instantly incapacitate to immediately stop action. If that's the way to do it, let's follow the science on that because what we're doing right now is following fantasy and television, which is probably not a good, good thing to base that on. Man, I grew up in the area, in the era of, you know, Miami vices every Tuesday at eight, you know, and, uh, I think I, I can't remember no, for no, sure. No, no, it was Friday, Friday. Yes. Friday at eight, Friday at eight. Trust, trust me. Cause I was never not in front of the TV in college and Friday night for Miami vice. And, you know, that's what sort of in all honesty, cause you bring it up. It's a little, uh, it's a little off topic topic, but it is related is, you know, it's back to us Gen Xers again, saving the world. You know, when you started to see that stuff is start looking at the TV shows and the movies from the eighties on when those Gen Xers started to get into their adultery, teeny adult years is when all that changed. Go look at the shows in the sixties. You didn't see Miami vice. You know, you didn't see movies like that. You didn't see, this is what we're basing, you know, this kind of police policy on is, you know, TV and stuff from the fifties and sixties, you know, and you've experienced this as did I, you know, your first week of police work is the greatest mind blower ever because anybody who actually goes through particularly in the older eras of the background checks, the psych test, yeah, the whole process, you know, brutal academies where they were actually trying to wash everybody out, brutal FTO programs, all of that. You know, the reality is your first week in police work is to be a cop. You actually had to come from some level of decency. Usually, you know, it was team sports, didn't do drugs, you know, had not a background filled with criminality and dope and everything else. And you get out there the first week on the job in any metropolitan police agency, and you are floored, literally floored by the levels of violence and inhumanity and disgust of what humans do to other humans and to themselves are absolutely mind blown by it. And I'll tell you what, what, you know, TV really didn't prepare you for that either. You know, no, but is, fortunately, you know, I had a family it, full of it, so I kind of got you the, had a fam- yeah. the yeah. verbal side yeah. of it. For 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 me, it was a mist. It was mind boggling of having never seen that, and I was always a little um, sensitive to that with my trainees as a fire as a uh, field training officer. That you know, most of these kids have never 
seen that. And particularly in my later years, when I had a bunch of trainees who'd, you know, never been on a bike without a helmet, never been in a fight, never played a team contact sport. Driving experience was mommy's minivan on the weekend, still lived at home with mom and dad, you know, had never seen or experienced any of this. And then you drop them into, uh, you know, urban America <laughs> of the time that call 911 on a regular basis and what real chaos looks like. And they are absolutely ill-prepared for it. Yeah. Completely ill-prepared for it, you know? Well, and, that, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't, you know, I had a family yeah. full of cops and I just come out of the military where the military is managing chaos yeah. <laughs> constantly. I never deployed anywhere. So it was all like simulated. <laughs> and then I, I jump into a police car and on my very first night, I remember going, huh, this isn't really what I expected. Uh, and what I meant by that was, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, going from someone and, and trying to connect with someone that has just lost their nine inch black and white television. And you are creating 45 minutes worth of paperwork to appease that person's sense of justice to 30 seconds later, chasing somebody down the street and tackling them in the middle of the street and having hours upon hours of paperwork and medical clearance. And well, the dude bumped his head. So now we got to go to the hospital and they have no real quantified idea of what that's like, uh, going from order to chaos to boredom to terror and, and doing these things in the span of seconds, one time said, sum up chaos or sum up police work for me. And I said, uh, it's nine hours of boredom and 30 seconds of sheer terror, almost nightly. Yeah. Like that's literally. Yeah, and- it, well, it, there, there's, you left out the absolute amazement of like, you're like, you're working in a fantasy world. I mean, you know, it, that kind of is on topic here. I'll, you know, my first night on the job, I went to seven shootings, not somebody heard shots fired actually went to seven shootings Wow! in your first night one of them my first night on the job i never even made it to brief and they called us my partner was on swat so we kept getting called for like this kind of stuff so i mean literally i got called with my fto out of the locker room you know and and, you know it's your first day so you're at work like an hour early like an hour before briefing started we're running out the door you know to the first one and uh the uh you know some guy barricaded and then some guy down the street shooting at the helicopter i don't even know how to use the radio to tell somebody hey there's a guy on the lawn shooting at the helicopter you know <laughs> tell my fdo when he gets back and he's like yeah don't worry that happens all the time you know but i'll never forget so we go to one of our heavyweight gang members at their gang headquarters you know uh and it's you know literally years later we actually got into the house they had a lie pit in the basement it's that place you know um, where all the real gang justice took place and you know it's a, a call somebody's been shot da, 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 you know they had a shooting out there we roll up and walk up and you know here's all these you know it's almost like uh some of the you know SoCal gang movies and here are all these gang members kind of a party and they look like out of a cartoon and you know dude sitting in a, a little one of those you know plastic chairs like hey you know like hey get off the property you know like hey we're here because somebody said there's a shooting there wasn't no shooting here and dude the guy's got a pool of blood under him I mean he sit he's sitting there gut shot nothing happened here I don't yeah. know what you're talking about I'm like hey you need to go to the hospital for what Nobody's shot. No, there was. I mean, you're sitting here, and for me coming out of college, going, that's really weird. 
that's bizarre that this dude is literally sitting here gut shot and his pride that he he hates the police so much and has such a level of, nope i don't need an ambulance i don't want a fire truck i'm not going to the hospital like you know it's like okay you know but it was literally mind-boggling that that that's not how my family or your family would work usually if somebody you know was injured how quick are the paramedics where are the paramedics you know this yeah. guy's like i'm not i'm not surrendering to the paramedics you know and again it's bizarre and this is what we're going to encourage now as well just you know shoot them someplace where it doesn't matter and yeah that, do you think that's gonna that's gonna stop this guy you know, the guy sitting in the chair with the cops going, there wasn't a shooting here. Yeah. Do you think this guy's going down for an arm shot? Right. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, yeah, well, let's you got, go. you, you, you got a, you, you got a companion and a cocktail. Why do you want to talk to me anymore? Delivered. <laughs> might I right? Add. Right. Delivered. Yes. I mean, obviously so. <laughs> things are going well in the, uh, in the, uh, studio. <laughs> they are. And, uh, Fortunately, the the music calmed down across the the way there, but uh, the, yeah. But other than that, let's let's roll in a final thought and uh, on shooting to wound, and I'll give you mine first. It's stupid. Don't do it. Now yours. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, is uh, I I will uh, agree with your thought a hundred percent. I think it is a recipe for disaster. That that the good idea fairy. Uh, is going to fail the hardest is the, the, the same people they're trying that whatever this policy is supposed to be protecting the, the reality is you're going to get cops hurt. You're going to get citizens hurt. You're going to get criminals hurt and you are going to increase civil liability. All right. Thanks DB Daryl bulky again for shooting to wound and just how stupid of an idea that is. A reminder, check out our sponsors, Excess Sites, CCW Safe. Get 10% off your membership at checkout. Off-Duty 10, EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt at edcbeltco.com. Concealed Carry Podcast Giveaway, sign up weekly. Link is in the show notes. And, uh, oh, the Guardian Conference. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And we will see or see you. We will hear from <laughs> you will hear from us next week. I uh, still haven't determined the guest, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll drum up somebody awesome for another controversial topic. The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.